I, nor- I normally have you stand, um, but I'm going to have you just to be seated because this passage is a little lengthier. But if you would just be upright in heart, making sure that you're paying attention to um, what's being said, because God's got something good for us this morning. He always does whenever we open up his word. And this morning we're going to be looking at desperate in a desperately broken world, how Jesus came to make all things well. So let's um, read this together in Mark chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 21, going to the end of the chapter in verse 43. Told you it was a long chapter or a long passage, but um, join me as we read this together. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may stay seated. (laughs) We're all a creature of routine, aren't we? It was about to come out, but we corrected the course uh, quickly. so. So Jesus came, and the reason that Jesus came making the disciples and the crowds and the readers recognize one thing in particular. He came to reveal his lordship and his mission. In in Mark chapter 1, he talks about that the time is now at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel. 
we have to remember this. Jesus did not simply come to affirm our life. He did not come to simply give us some really interesting and provocative teachings and platitudes. He came to bring us change. He came to change us. And it's a reminder for all of us that if we say we are Christians and we resist change in our lives and in our hearts, and there's been no change in us at all, we have to really ask ourselves, have we really accomplished the mission of Jesus and repented, turned from our sin and ourselves and believed the gospel? Someone asked a preacher of note, how can you tell that you've been saved? How can I tell that I've been saved? Very simply, you no longer want to live to yourself. You want to live in righteousness to Christ. And is that you? Do you are, you are you just simply satisfied that you may be going to heaven because of a decision you made a long time ago? Or are you ones who are living for Christ in righteousness daily? Are you daily repenting of your sin? Or are you just cruising along to glory? This passage here is showing a number of things about Jesus. We've already seen how Jesus is Lord over nature. Peace be still. It was still. We've already seen how he's Lord over the spiritual realm and the demoniac in in the tombs who was living amongst the tombs. Come out of him, and they did. Sent him into the pigs. Pigs went into the water. They said, please leave, the ones who are the owners of the pigs. You're messing with our livelihood. You're messing with our stuff. I don't care that this man is sitting here whole. Please, please leave our region. Jesus is over that. What now we're going to see is how Jesus is Lord over disease, and he's Lord over death. And so let me just, I want to just make sure, because that was a lot of words that I just read to you. But I want to make sure that we understand the summary of what's going on here. Jesus gets off the boat. Crowds come and surround him. A ruler of the synagogue, who's not a rabbi, by the way. He's basically the one that takes care of the synagogue, takes care of the building and and the activities. So he was fairly well known. The ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus about his daughter, who's getting ready to die at the point of death. Jesus goes with him. While he's going, there's a woman, unnamed, unclean, issue of blood for 12 years, Touches Jesus' garment, she's healed immediately. Jesus turns around and says, who did this? She confesses the whole thing. Daughter, you're well. Go on. In the meantime that he's dealing with this woman, there's someone that comes from Jairus' house and says, no need to trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Jesus says, don't you fear. You only believe. So they go. Takes Peter, James, and John with them. They go. There's some mourners that are there causing a commotion, weeping, wailing, doing all of this stuff. And be, well, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. They laugh. He goes in, runs all of them out. He goes in with just the parents, Peter, James, and John himself and the little girl. Talitha Kumi, rise. She does. Don't say anything. Right? So that's the story. And the, and the thing is, we can fall into a temptation of reading the passage this way. Wow, isn't Jesus amazing that both the rich and the popular and the influential person can, also, can, can come to Jesus as well as the poor and unpopular and unclean? Now, is that true? Yes. Yes. Are you with me this morning? 
All right? It's a little chilly in here. We do that to make sure that the shivering is keeping you away. I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. It feels actually pretty good in here. But, but there's also something else. Again, he is Lord over disease. He's Lord over death. He's Lord of all. We used to sing that song, He is Lord, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord. And the fact that He is Lord and still doing something in a world that is desperately broken, you may have come into this place working so hard to dress up and hide the fact that you're desperate and broken. And what I say to you is, you are in good company. We are in a world of 7 billion people that are broken and desperate. And where can they go? Boy, people try to find all sorts of places to go to try to get away from that desperation, don't they? They go all sorts of places. We see here that, yes, the wide spectrum of society is all going through the same thing. Just different variations of the same theme of desperation and brokenness. But Jesus has some things to show us that lest we begin to operate as a sort of impartiality to people, he teaches us some things to remember as we work and and bring Jesus to the rest of the world. So here's three questions and a statement. So here's the first question. Number one, do you believe... Do you believe that all are made in God's image? This is not something to sleep on. This is something that we have to make sure that we are well aware of. Do you believe that all are made in God's image? One of the issues that many of us struggle with in this broken world is the fact that we tend to categorize people. Well, this person's rich, this person's poor, this person's healthy, this person's unhealthy. This person's a churchgoer, this person's not. This person's a Democrat, this person's a Republican. This person's this, this person's that. And, and we like to categorize people. And, and when we do that, we, we tend to do that in thinking that there's some sort of superiority, especially if we can get to the cool kids table. If we're in the cool kids table, then we don't have to worry about anything. But if we're not at the cool kids table, then we feel less about ourselves and then we want to be at the cool kids table cool kids table, right? We have to be sure that this territorialism that is something that comes up in us all the time is, is fought against. And this partiality comes up. It's fought against because the, the thing that we all have in common is that we are all image bearers of God. Jairus, the ruler, he bows the knee to Jesus and saying, my daughter is having a problem. I need your help. He's an image bearer of God. There's an adversarial relationship that Jesus and the religious leaders had. And sometimes when you think, well, there's an adversarial relationship, that means that you're, you're, you have two different philosophies going. Well, my philosophy is right. Your philosophy is wrong. And if I'm right and you're wrong, I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you're wrong. That's what, that's a, an issue that's going on in our country right now is that if someone, and it, it really plays itself out on social media, that if someone disagrees with you, you can unfollow them or block them and you can hermetically seal yourself in to just only being in this echo chamber of only listening to people that agree with you. And you say, well, that's terrible. Hey, churches have been doing that for years. We can give lessons on that. I'm not going to deal with them. I'm just going to be around people that believe like me and look like me and sound like me. 
I've been doing it for a long time. We are all image bearers of God, all dealing with brokenness, all dealing with a desperation. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Well, that about covers it, doesn't it? That's a lot, but it's everything. And then it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are all made in his image, regardless. I read to you a passage earlier about a partiality from, from the book of James, where it says, if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and are convicted by law as transgressors. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We who are judged, it says in verse 12, so, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Regardless of who we are, regardless of where we may be, we are image bearers of God. And I remember just thinking about this, that we have value and meaning and purpose when God tells us that. He's not left us to our own devices. That's number one. Do you believe that all are in the image of God, or do you believe that you're more of an image bearer of God than somebody else is who disagrees with you? Oh, you better be careful. Because both Jairus and this woman who had the issue of blood, both on, they were both on the spectrum on the, of the societal norm. They were on the spectrum of it. Jesus is here dealing with both of them at the same time. Number two, are you aware of the brokenness of our world and the desperation of every heart? Are you aware of that? So remember I said that there was one thing that we all have in common, that we're all image bearers of God. Are you with me this morning? That we're all image bearers of God? This is the other thing that we have in common. Everybody, and I've said this a thousand times, and I'm going to keep saying it. Everybody on the planet will agree that, the problem, that this world is broken and there's a problem in that brokenness. Now, people are not going to agree on how to fix it. But they're going to recognize that we are all dealing with this brokenness. And are you aware that everybody that you come across is dealing with that in some sort of way? I've shared with you again, Don Whitney, there's a hurt in every heart. That's true. That there, there is a true story about that. So when you come to church, and as, as Wayne was talking about how we're going to be connecting with people in our communities, one of the things that, that comes up every so often is that people think, well, if I come to church, that means I've got to fix myself. And I keep reminding people, no, you come to church because there's people here who aren't fixed but are looking to the one who can fix them. Come be a part. You see? That's what we have to recognize. So the disciples, the crowds that were around them, the synagogue ruler, the unclean woman, all of them were dealing with this issue of brokenness and sin that is in the world. And that's what we deal with now as a citizen of the world. There's a recent article that came out about how more and more Americans are doing a, a buy now, pay later type of option when it comes to buying groceries because inflation, the um, food costs have risen 10.9% over the past year, and that is the most it has risen since 1979. Remember 1979? I was eight years old. I remember 1979. 
I remember the gas lines. I remember there's a lot of things that were going on that we really take for granted uh, nowadays. But Marshall Lux, who, was the Ken- who, who works at the Kennedy School at Harvard, he once noted, once people start stretching out grocery payments, it shows the height of personal desperation. So people are getting it, whether it's groceries or your children or your health issues or emotional issues you're dealing with, uh, whatever it may be, your relationship with, with, with the Lord. Uh, all of these things are coming along and it's bringing along some of these crises. And sometimes when we are in a culture where we believe that any kind of crises or any kind of hard thing should be avoided, I think what's happening is that God is getting our attention to really look at, okay, what are we really relying on? Are we relying on the economy way too much? Are we relying on our family to give us value? Are we relying on medicine to cure all the ails of the world? No one's been able to cure death. Nobody. They're trying. I was watching a documentary on Al Davis, the former owner of the Oakland Raiders, and one of the first scenes that came on is that, well, what is one of the things that you want to do? He's like, I want to prevent death. Really? But that's where people are. But all we're doing is is we're just sweeping the ocean back with a broom. We're just putting it off, maybe. But God has a certain amount of time that's here for us, we've got to be well aware of that. That's, that is proof positive of a broken world is that we are marked by death, regardless of how healthy we stay. Even Jack LaLanne, if you remember him, even he died, right? We've got to remember that. So the brokenness of this world shows no partiality. And it didn't start out that way. It didn't start out that way in Genesis. It's not going to end up that way. But here we are in the meantime, that no matter your age, your personality, your political affiliation, your geographical location, your pigmentation, brokenness shows absolutely no partiality. The crowds were desperate for Jesus to do something amazing for them. They didn't want to follow him, but they sure wanted to see something really cool happen in their life. Jairus faced death and despair right in the face. His daughter was at the point of death, and that word point of death, it comes from the word eschatos. And if you've studied any of this, you may have heard the word eschatology, which is the study of end times. Ultimate, extreme, the last part. I was talking to someone this week who was in hospice care, which is more and more conversations we're having like that. And some of you may not realize that there's different levels of hospice care. Well, this little girl... This was the very last, last, last level of hospice care. She was at the point of death. Time was of the essence. The woman faced despair despair of disease. The doctors didn't have the capability to do that. And And before we get all over the doctors, we have to realize that up until about 1880, that medical practices had more in common with the time of Moses than they did in the time that we're living in right now. The advancements really over the past 140, 150 years are Herculean, Olympian, galactic, whatever adjective you want to use to show that's really significant. And so they just didn't have a way to be able to help her. Now, whether they wanted to help her or not, I don't really know. But even if they did want to help her in full, they couldn't. But she, and she spent all that she had, and she was desperate. She was in a position where there was no one was going to be able to do anything for her. And so the desperation that comes, they had run out of options. They had run out of options. And so the ruler of the synagogue, adversarial relationship, 
The woman who is unclean, who couldn't go to worship because Leviticus 15, I forgot to tell you about that. Leviticus 15 says, if you have a hemorrhage like that, you're unclean. She couldn't go to worship. She was ostracized. She was alone. And they both went where? They won't, both ran to one place. Number three, here's the question for you before we get to where they ran. Where do you run in desperation? To the object of your faith. If you think medicine is going to cure all your ills, that's the object of your faith. It's, but it's not going to do it always. There may be times when it does. If you think technology is going to cure everything. If you think politics, <laughs> really? You think politicians are going to cure everything. You think these, all of these folks that are re- right here on this level, that there's somebody that's going to be able to have all the cures to your desperation and brokenness, you are going to be severely frustrated at that. But there is one that you can run to. The one that needs to be the object of your faith. Both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood ran to the same place. They went to the one that they knew could fix their issue, or at least the, the second one hoped could. Jairus had the access to the best medical care, but they couldn't help. And so when he went to Jesus, come and lay your hands on her and she'll live. And so he went. This desperation led him to the one he knew could help her. Where is your desperation leading you? And and it's a desperation that's going to cause more desperation. The woman tried as well, the woman with the issue of blood. It bankrupted her. But when she touched Jesus, the fountain, I love that picture of the fountain. You get it, right? This fountain, after 12 years, Years, 12 years of this pain, 12 years of this issue. This was not something that happened immediately. Because you know she was praying to God. But God, 12 years of being bankrupt, 12 years of saying, I can't help you, I can't help you, I can't help you, I can't help you. She touched the garment of Jesus. Please understand that this woman was dealing with some superstition as well. Because it was thought back then that if, of a great man or a healer, that if you touched their garment, that the, the power would do that. You know, when I was working at Winn-Dixie back when I was in, uh, in community college, there was a young man, friend of mine, he came up to me. He was a couple of years younger than me, and he came up to me, and he, you could just tell in his eyes that he was really desperate. And word had gotten out that I was, about, I was studying for ministry or wanting to go into ministry. And, you know, so, you know, they make fun of me and ignore me until something comes up. Just bear that in mind, by the way. Because there's sometimes when people may not come to church until something happens. Oh, you're here. The roof's going to cave in. Look, if somebody comes in and they haven't been in a while and you tell them the roof's going to cave in, that is, that is proof that they're not going to come back. Hey, look at you. Because we live in Denver. If people are coming to church in Denver, something's up. You got, you got to realize that. And so there's this desperation that goes on. And this young man came up to me. Stephen came up to me. I haven't seen him in 30-some years. And he saw this guy, Robert Tilton, on TV. And Robert Tilton, he would pray over these garments. And the more you would send money in, the harder he'd pray over these garments and he'd send them to you. So there's still that superstition. It's superstition. Because that's not how it works. And he, he spent $100. Now, we were making four twenty five an hour. 
This was back in 1989. 425 an hour. And he spent $100. In my flesh, I was like, you got chipped. Until I looked him in the eye. Because there was something going on. He never told me what it was, but there was something going on. And we've got to be really careful the way we talk to people about all sorts of different things. Look them in the eye. Talk to the young man today, or, or, or this past Friday. Flat affect. But you could tell that there could be a word that was said or something and he would have just let go. We're trying to hold on so much because there's a desperation and a brokenness that is happening to us and we've got to be really, really careful. But that brought her to Jesus and it, and it brought Stephen to have me talk to him about Jesus and how he really works and how he really operates. So God can use all sorts of means to bring someone to where they, where they need to be. But the fact is, is that we've got 7 billion people on the planet And some of you could be sitting right here this morning and you're like, I'm going through all of this, but I shouldn't be because if I'm a Christian, God promised that nothing ever bad was going to happen to me. That's the people talking to you on TV. That's not being talked to you about in the Bible. There are going to be issues you're going to deal with, but you have an object of your faith. Your faith cannot save you, but God uses your faith as an instrument to bring you to where you need to be. And you need to recognize that he is the one. He is, must be the object of your faith. Because if you try to go anywhere else, you're going to be frustrated. But if you go to Christ, you'll be liberated. It's true. It's true. So when we look at this and we see what all is, is happening here, here's the last statement. I told you it was three questions. Now the statement. Number four. Jesus wants you to trouble him. Will you take the risk? Don't trouble the master, your daughter's dead. Well, death had always won, but not with Jesus. And you're saying, well, I've had a, I had someone that I love that, that died, and why, why did that have to happen? Why couldn't it have been resurrected? Well, please understand, death is going to come to us all one day. No matter how many miracles you've had happen to you, the purpose of miracles in the, in the New Testament was to show you the spiritual realm that Christ will be the ultimate healer of all. Because once you go to heaven, there's not going to be any more tears, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no death in, in the time to come. And some people are wanting that right now. Well, I, I want it now. Sorry. We are in the land of the broken and the dying. But one day that will end. Whether you're a Christian or not, regardless of where you are, death shows no partiality. And so where will you go? Go trouble him. Go trouble Jesus. The, the, the ruler got so desperate that he went to trouble Jesus. The woman got so desperate, she went to trouble Jesus. And even when the daughter died, don't trouble Jesus. Jesus says, trouble me. You come to me. Well, I can't come to you with this thing that I've got going on. He already knows it. He knows the sin that you're dealing with. He knows the troubles that you're going through. He knows the things that you're going through health-wise, emotional-wise, mental, spiritual, personal. He knows it all. And yet he's coming here and saying, trouble me. No, I can't trouble you. You know how I know that there's a lot of people that still struggle with that mentality? 
Because some people read the prayer guide, they're going through their own stuff, right? They're, going, they're having their own issues, but they're going through the prayer guide, and they're like, well, I don't want to tell you, I don't want to go into really pastor mad about what's going on with me, because you know there's other people that got worse things going than I do. Okay, but let's think about this. So when you're talking about surgeries, minor surgeries, minor surgeries are for who? Somebody else. If you're going through a surgery, it's not minor. It's not minor. You know, it's happening to you. It's affecting you. And there's a ripple effect where it affects other people. And, and, so, and so what you're doing is you're discounting the fact, well, I'm not going to go bother Jesus. Why do you, listen, you can't bother him anymore by him dying for you. He already died for you. Everything else is cake for him. He already died for your sin. And so when you read this passage in Hebrews 4 that I've quoted to you a million times, that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence, find mercy and help in your time of need. Do you, do you see what's happening? Well, I'm not having any problems. Just wait. Don't mean to be a doom and gloom kind of guy. But how many people are just kind of walking along and bebopping along and then they get news? News that is so catastrophic and cataclysmic, they are rocked to their absolute very core. We are not guaranteed smooth sailing. What are we guaranteed? We're guaranteed the one who is our anchor. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul. Hebrews tells us that. And if we're trying to find our anchor elsewhere, well, no wonder we're frustrated. No wonder we're, uh, the desperation then deepens because, you, oh, this will do it. You go to the doctor. Oh, he'll have something. Nope, he doesn't have anything there. Oh, he has something. No, this person doesn't have anything either. Nope, nope. And then you sink and sink and sink. And just add that to anything else that may end up going on with you. Jesus has promised that he would be with us, that he would never leave us or forsake us, that, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the promise over all of Scripture. I'll be with you, 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 I'll be with you. You didn't hear me the first thousand times? Let's run it again. I'll be with you. To the end of the age, you're not alone. You may feel alone, but feelings aren't facts, we've been reminded. You're not alone, dear Christian. The desperation that you're feeling right now, Christ has been there. He is saying, once you're in my hand, no one can take you out of my hand. So what will we do? Yeah, there's, we're desperate in a desperately broken world. Do we realize that we're all image bearers of God and we're in this together? Do we all realize that, we are, that, that there is a brokenness and a desperation that we're all dealing with. Yes, different, different variations, same theme, desperation. We all are running to something in our desperation. What is it? Who is it? That's the object of your faith. The object of your faith, please, please may it be Jesus. May it be Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. No one else died for your sins. Jesus did. No one else rose from the grave to break the bonds of sin and death and hell. Jesus did. No one ascended back to the Father to sit at the right hand of the Father to intercede for you. Jesus did. And there's no one else that's going to come back again one day 
and take his church out to be with him for all of eternity. Well, you say, well, this has been happening for a long time. I, I, I get that. I understand. 12 years here. Jairus had something happen quick. This 12 years, the woman with the issue of blood. Some of you have been going through things 50, 60, 70 years. But do not lose heart for these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are transient, temporary. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. And when we get to heaven and we've been there 10,000 years, what we're going to realize is what happened here is a gleam that bounced off the water, and that was all there was. Think about how long heaven's going to be. And there's going to be no break, no break of anything as far as being in his presence, not dealing with mourning or crying or pain or death anymore, no hospitals, no electricity bills because the glory of God's going to light everything. Do you see what's, what, what awaits you? I'm, what I'm saying to you is this. You're desperate. You're broken. You may be here. Hang on. Say that with me. Hang on. Turn to your neighbor. Hang on. You got two neighbors. I'm going to say, have you do it again. Turn the other way. Hang on. Because Jesus will be with you. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus will take you where you need to be. He'll never leave you or forsake you. In your brokenness, Jesus is the object of your faith. And some of you need to trust in Christ right now. You need to get up. You need to come to the steps. You need to come to me. And some of you need to be rescued and saved from, from your sin and your death and your desperation and your brokenness. So Father, whoever this may be, May this be the morning where we realize that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the living water. He is, he is our all in all. He is the door. He's the gate. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. This is Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we've been inundated with all sorts of fallacies and theories about how things got to the way they are and how they're going to be fixed and nothing's working and nothing will work outside of Jesus. I pray, Father, that our hope would not be in who we think, but that our hope would be in who you are and what you've done and what you aim to do through us. When we get desperate, may we look to the cross. When we get broken, may we look to the empty tomb. When we get in the valley of the shadow of death, may we realize that there is one who is with us and is interceding for us. And when we wonder if this is all there ever is, may we be reminded there is one who will come in the clouds and split the eastern sky and take us to be with him forever. But to hang on for right now as he's hanging on to us. Use us, Lord, and guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I was reminded the other day that it's not how hard we hold on to Christ, but it's how hard he holds on to us. And he's holding on. So let's stand and sing our closing, our closing song together and commit our lives to Jesus all the way my Savior leads me. He doesn't just lead us down the path. Christ is that path. He is the way. Let's sing this together.
This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. And I hope that you see that. Again, he's not just the, takes you on the path. He is the path. So um, be in prayer next week. Mike Proud is going to be coming. He is the executive uh, director of our, I guess the executive treasurer, whatever the thing. He's the head guy over the Colorado Baptist General Convention. He just, he stepped in about a year ago. And so he's going to come and and preach in my stead. You're going to be blessed. He is going to be sharing some really wonderful, wonderful things with you, as well as continue to pray for this next steps process. I hope you've already circled September 25th. We're going to be having that meeting to where you've been getting it in little drips and drabs when you're going to get the whole hurricane. You're going to let, let everybody know what um, you've entrusted the vision team to do as we've prayerfully um, sought God. It's not going to be anything that is going to be, wow, I didn't see that coming. But more of it is just going to be, will we be revived and take ownership of what God's told us to do? We know what he's saying for us to do. It's just he needs to change our hearts to get us into an attitude of, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. So on the way out, um, our members and guest services team is going to give you a little article that's about revival. It's a very small thing that you can put in your Bible that I hope you'll refer to, but it's just some quick things for you to remember about what God will do and what revival really means. And it's not just a set of services. It's a lifestyle. So, um, Wayne, we can't get enough of you, brother. I appreciate you coming up and uh, closing us in a word of prayer. Yeah, pray for Rick Myers because, my goodness, um, he, he, he took ill and 
um, that was a that was a robust class that you all had uh, putting putting everybody in that in that room. It was wonderful. But thanks for praying for us. And uh, don't leave too quickly. Be just be good to have some fellowship with everybody before you take off. Take care. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning, which uh, reminds us that in spite of all the challenges we face in life, that uh, we can always turn to you and uh, and count on you to lead us and, and carry us through these difficult times. We want to pray this morning for Rick. Uh, we pray for his health and his quick return to us, but also for Pastor Matt and Cindy as they go on vacation this next week. We just pray this would be a great time of 